listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Oasis Community Church. I'm Robbie Waddell. I'm the lead pastor here. I know most of you. So uh, if you are new, if you are new to Oasis, um, just just a word, uh, we're in the midst of our epiphany series called Know and Be Known. And uh, part of what uh, we're hoping to do during this series, uh, epiphany is that season in the church calendar about God manifesting, God being revealed. Um, Of course, the ultimate revelation uh, of who God is, is the person of Jesus Christ. And so we we celebrate that this time of year. Part of what we're doing at Oasis, this epiphany uh, season, is to focus on two other forms of awareness, uh, personal awareness and then social awareness. And uh, during January, we've been focusing on personal awareness and particularly what that means in terms of our own uh, mental health. So we have a number of folks who have testified this morning about their journey uh, with their uh, mental health. And we have others kind of lined up the next couple of weeks. And so this particular evening uh, kind of came to my heart and mind Uh, As many of you know, uh, back in November, um, I lost a very, very close friend uh, to suicide. And it was and is um, uh, tragic and difficult. And as a pastor of, of a local community of faith, I felt that I would be remiss of my responsibilities if I didn't kind of address uh, the congregation and the, the larger community as best we can to talk about the need to be self-aware and the need to kind of embrace um, best practices as it comes to our mental health. So I just kind of thinking on those things, having recently experienced uh, Jim's passing, and I, I ran into my old friend, Dr. Cliff Herndon, at a first Friday and I was kind of sharing with him, and he was sharing with me part of what he's doing now. I've known Cliff for about 15 years, I think, since he moved to, to Lakeland, whatever date that was. Uh, he's a remarkable man, uh, scholar, uh, um, psychologist, um, spiritual uh, leader. Uh, Cliff did his undergrad at Notre Dame. He did a master's degree and a PhD in psychology at the Ohio State University. I'm not sure why they always put the the in front of the name of that school, but I I hear people say that, so I thought I'd defer. Uh, He spent um, a couple of decades in North Carolina, uh, maybe a couple decades and a half as a clinical psychologist, and then was in the academic world as a university professor for about 15 years. And now we are delighted to have him here to speak to us about spirituality and about mental health. Uh, So please welcome Dr. Cliff Herndon. 
Well, am I on? <laughs> I'm on. Okay. Well, good evening. It's a pleasure to be able to be with you guys this evening. It's uh, uh, the encounter that Robbie described is is that it's at a time in my life when my own passion for trying to make a link between mental health and particularly the Christianity as a whole um, is able to be operated on now that I'm that I am semi-retired, as it were. So being able to do that, and God's just opened some opportunities for me to be able to at least share with that. So my hope is um, that tonight will give you a chance to at least ponder some of the things that uh, relate to one's spiritual life and one's mental health life, whatever you want to call it, emotional well-being, all those kind of things. And also get a chance to, I got, I got to get used to theatering around here. <laughs> but uh, so, so uh, I want to be clear in the beginning that um, my intent is to leave at least a half an hour at the end because I want you guys to be able to kind of speak into things that might be helpful to you to get further thoughts about from, uh, from me and from the, from the place I come from. Um, so... Please uh, be thinking if there are things you want to ask. I have a strong, uh, I want to tell you how I introduced myself when I was in practice in North Carolina. And it was about 27 years, by the way, just off the top of my head. Uh, so I, I worked in a number of settings in North Carolina, one in a, in a physical rehabilitation setting for about 19 years uh, with people who had different dis disabling conditions, strokes, spinal cord injury, Braining, traumatic brain injury, those things. I, I then had the opportunity to work in a church-based counseling center or church-supported counseling center uh, at the Concord First Assembly Church in Concord, North Carolina, which is just outside the Charlotte area. And then I moved from there into a place to do uh, some private practice and other, other kind of work. So I've kind of got this like weird mix of experience in terms of the different kinds of folks I've been able to work alongside. But it always was this part of me that said, when I was at Ohio, the Ohio State, one of the things in, in 19, well, I'm dating myself, whatever, I'm a boomer. Um, in 1970s, when I was in school there, one of the, it's obviously Ohio State is not a Christ-centered or a private, spiritually-based school. Doesn't mean there aren't people there who are, but it, it is not. And at that time, the idea was that you don't talk about uh, religion in the counseling room because you have an ethical responsibility not to over-influence an individual to follow some sort of uh, spiritual system that you follow. So the idea, I was like, and I, I wasn't, as, as God had not brought me through certain markers in my own spiritual growth point yet, uh, to know that, uh, maybe that wasn't quite so true until later. So I kind of like bought it, and it was like, okay. Um, so I won't talk about that. And what's interesting to me now as I look at where mental health is in 2020, there are many, many practitioners who are, have become aware of the fact that we all do have a spiritual essence they may not be Christian in, in terms of what people say, but it's almost now we're learning it's unethical not <laughs> to consider the spiritual side of individuals, period. 
The spirituality is where we make sense of life. It's where we ask the hard questions about what does this mean? And we have places in our lives where that comes from. So God kind of shifted my gears and then started giving me some experience and exposure. And, and I kind of, I went to a friend one day and I said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm really doing, you know, integrating my faith. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm being true to God in the work I'm doing, it's not a, it's not, at that time it was not a, uh, church-based setting, I was working. I'm like, am I, am, I, am I covering it? You know, am I covering it? And he said, oh, you, you know, just let it, let it come to you. You know, you, you are doing what you're doing, and you are a practitioner of God, the faith. I know you, but for that. Well, you would know it. How God, you ever had that, those things come up, and then, like, the next week, God all of a sudden puts people in your path, like, <laughs> Well, all of a sudden, I had these people coming into my office, and I, I kind of got a little bit unique, and I said, well, you know, if you've had this terrible injury and this accident, um, what gets you through? You know, what helps you to survive? What, how are you making it when difficult times hit you? And he gives me about five people in a row who say, oh, it's the Lord. Oh, it's my church community. Oh, it's my pastor. Oh, it's the word. And I finally said, all right, already, all right, already. I get it. I get it. I, I, it is a part of who we are. And I found myself saying, you know, if I don't, if I as a person who has Christian beliefs and values and ability to understand that, why should I not, it would be almost wrong, it would be wrong for me not to try to help engage somebody in their own pursuit of trying to find out what does this mean? on a lot of levels. So all that being said, I got to a point in my own practice where I would be uh, introducing myself as uh, a Christian psychologist. I got a chance to do that because I had my own practice, and you can do that. You can call yourself what you want when you have your own practice. <laughs> but there is a difference here, because when I would say I'm a Christian psychologist, like if I say that to you, you probably have some, hmm, Christian psychologist. You know, I got some idea what that might mean. And I have a thought of what that looks like. So, but I can't guarantee that people understand what I mean when it's about me. So I found myself wanting to explain that. And the best explanation I could come up with was, I want you to understand that I'm a Christian who happens to be a psychologist. I could be a Christian who happens to be an attorney. I could be a Christian who happens to be a engineer, a homemaker, I could be any of those things. But what that means is my Christianity is in me, and whether I see you in this office or we run into each other in Walmart, I'm still that person. That's me. Now, I, that doesn't mean you want that, and I'm respectful of what is it that you want, but I understand that sometimes people won't want to address things from that level. And I believe that's a respectful thing to do, to allow people to have that. They're still going to be dealing with life. They're still going to be, I'm still there to be able to be alongside them and develop that, hopefully that relationship that's helpful and, and what we call the therapeutic relationship, which is a key element. 
By the way, do we have a God who knows anything about therapeutic relationships? Never mind. I won't go there. Um, so anyway, that, that's how I would introduce myself. But I, I, over the years, I've come to realize that sometimes people don't have any exposure. They don't have any uh, framework for this psychology or counseling or mental health thing that's out there. And maybe sometimes people's experiences or information uh, might not be as accurate as it could be, dare I say. So I found in different church communities, people have different ideas. But in different people, people have different ideas and exposure. What does that mean? I'm watching the edge of this thing so it doesn't grab me, you know? <laughs> I can't stop moving around. That's just me, so you have to deal with that. So I wanted to take some time tonight as a part of this presentation to kind of introduce you to a way that I look at this uh, connection of not only spirituality, but more specifically the connection of Christianity with uh, the, the concept of counseling, mental health services, whatever. Uh, because I'm aware that people have different thoughts, feelings, and maybe experience with that. So I want to take some time to kind of give you, this is the Cliff Herndon kind of way of looking at integration of Christianity with uh, mental health. So if this works the way it's supposed to, ha-ha. This is actually, I don't have to look around. I can see it up there. You can, if you can see behind me, you will see a bookshelf that was on my, in my office. And um, I have done a similar presentation, and I named it in the past, The Church, God's Word, and Mental Health. It's okay to talk about it. Um, why did I say that? Um, well, I've been aware in some places it's not okay to talk about mental issues or mental health issues or life struggles or depression or may need I go on. And I think it's important. If you, look, if you look at those books, those are really my books and those are my professional and otherwise books. I've, since teaching at Southeastern, one of the things I I'm, was always pleased about and I would not have gone to teach anywhere except that God let me have an opportunity to overtly put faith into the classroom from the beginning. So my students are going to get it. I mean, they're going to get me as a Christian, so just deal with that. And hopefully they are wanting that. My idea is that the, the students that we usually get, especially, in, I taught mostly in the graduate program over the last, I would say, eight years. So a lot of our program uh, graduates are in the community as mental health practitioners at different agencies. Uh, some are supervisors. Some are uh, in different places. And so uh, I, feel, I feel confident that being able, this model is something that can be useful. So I'll let you make the judge if it's useful to you, but we'll go, for, go with that, okay? Let's move to that. Oh, who is that guy? Um, I always recommend that when you are hearing somebody speak and give you some information and knowledge base, whatever, you should probably know who the heck is this guy because do I, is he worth listening to? Does he have any credence in what he does? And what is that based on? So I want to give you just a quick overview of me. That just shows you that I am a licensed psychologist in Florida. It's really true. I have a couple of months to finish my continuing education before I go back and get it. But 
the state knows me, okay? So I'll start there. That's my professional in addition to the background that you have seen. Um, it does take some work to get there. And uh, in terms of actual experience with, with uh, clients and, and people I work with, um, there's a lot that it takes. So number two, if it will go, where you go, where you go, come on. Hello. There you go. Oh, yeah, that's the other part of me. Um, that's my wife and my most important role right now in life is Pop-Pop. And Pop-Pop and Nana have now four little ones to uh, enjoy and to spoil and give back. Um, so it is, it is a joy to me to have that opportunity. And I believe very strongly that family in a church is not just this family. Family in the church community is a family of faith and a family of people which we support and go alongside and help and are held up by. Our arms like Moses might be held up on top of the mountain when Joshua's leading the troops in that uh, Old Testament battle in Exodus. Or, or we might be praying for uh, Aaron and his brother not to get creamed because they put the golden calf together. And Either way, those are... God's people, when we are God's people. So if we can, if our churches can be part of that, that's kind of a background. So I don't know how those kids got to look so cute when they had this grandpa. Um, and then my, this is my, my church home, uh, Heart of the Father, which is up the road a little ways up on 98. Um, I just put that in there so that um, my wife and I are, 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 are deacons in, the, in the, the body of that congregation. And we joined that church at a time because, at one time, partly because our daughters were, were there and serving there. But the other part was um, we kind of felt like there was a need, an opportunity to provide some maturity um, to a young congregation. And God sort of allowed that opening. And, and it's... Heart of the Father, as I hope this church is as well, is very cross-generationally open to having, we don't have like, well, the little kids are here, the junior high is here, adults are here, senior adults are here, and they never cross. Um, that's not how it is and I, I, for us, and to me it's a value. I feel like um, we have sons and daughters that aren't our sons and daughters of uh, biology, and we try to be fathers and mothers uh, of, of them. So um, all you gray haireds out there, uh, go for it. <laughs> all right. So having said that, let's, let's get to the nitty gritty of, of my, what do I hope to accomplish while we're together? One, I hope you have a little bit of an understanding of some of the life issues related to mental health. Number two, I hope that there would be perhaps a beginning of a decrease in the shame and stigma that's often connected to these issues. Shame and stigma are important words. We're going to revisit them in just a minute um, that may hinder people's resources or God's resources available through different avenues to be helpful to people. Um, third, you know, I, I, I want to plant the seed for a faith community that supports and has compassion towards one another when life issues, things happen uh, to us that we, we struggle with in some way or another. 
whatever we want to call those things. And then I'm leaving that last part, so any questions that you may have, because I think it's important to have a place to ask them. You all agree with that? To have a place where you can ask? You know, and be okay, it's safe, you know. And I, oh, you asked that? Mm, oh, get behind me. No, um, so that's my intent. Well, let's, let's move with that. All right, so what do the numbers say out there? If we're looking at a little bit of statistics, I can't be a professor and not quote some information related to professional data. But uh, one of the surveys that I've addressed, it was 2005, it may be a little different for now, but about 57.5 million American adults experience some kind of mental, mental illness or mental challenge in a year. That's a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of people. Number two, one out of five pastors surveyed recently in that same time frame indicated they have personally struggled with a mental health illness or a mental illness of some kind in life, a mental issue. Dr. Waddell, thank you for your sharing, but it, it, is, it is so. It is so. But the only problem is only about two, third, two out of every three pastors, a one-third actually does speak about that in any way that people can actually know that it's happening. It doesn't get talked about as much. And I'm not saying we have to tell everybody everything about our personal lives. That's not the issue. But to be able to share the struggle, to share the vulnerability of, I'm, I need... I need you alongside me. I need the Lord with me. I need prayer. Is an important piece that I think we, we I want to encourage that to happen, but I think it's, it can happen more than it, it is now. I'll just put it that way. All right, here we go. So I have a couple of ideas about what are some of the, uh, what are the major reasons? Well, I said earlier what I think two reasons why it doesn't get talked about. One is the idea that it is a shame and stigma are the two. Now, shame, to me, is when something that we have going on makes us feel like we are inferior, so inferior to the point that we can't, like, nobody can know that about me. I can't, I can't let you know. For example, if I'm, if I'm anxious, then I have to say... I, I, if I'm shameful about it, I'm an anxious person, that's a shameful thing to be anywhere, right? Well, it can be, but I, I think there's a, there's a problem with that, which is life, <laughs> which is life. Stigma, a negative marker. You know, I feel like some people have believed that if I have anything that's related to a thing called mental health, depression, anxiety, ADHD, dementia, you name it, then that, that's a marker. I have the scarlet whatever letter it is, not A, but whatever letter it is, and, I, and that, so I can't talk about it. Got to shut, shut it in, don't let anybody know, um, which to me is a shame, a shame, ha <laughs> ha. No, it's unfortunate that that's so. So I think there are a couple of, I try to put together a couple of things that I think are, well, here's a list, look at that. I, I will wager that if I, and I won't ask you to hold up your hands, but I will wager that everybody in this room has probably had experience with themselves, a family member or a friend, describe using any of, some of the, one or more of those terms as the descriptor of what's going on, okay? They're, they're there. They're common language. They've crossed into our American culture. They are now part of what we talk about. 
Um, they started out maybe as professional terms at some level, but, and they still have part of that. But we now have those terms in use. So what does that mean if, the, if, if those terms are relevant or mean anything? Oh my goodness, what does that mean? Well, I think some, there are some misperceptions, and I would like to kind of just cover a couple of those while we're together. All right? I, I call them unfortunate perspectives. How about that? <laughs> Number one, and I'm not saying this is, this is a disclaimer. I'm not saying anybody in this room is the owner of or has this perspective. perspective. I'm saying it's out there in some people because I've seen it. All right? Number one, mental health struggles in life are all based on a lack of faith, based on sin, or weak spirituality. Hence, true believers and people of faith should never experience these things. If, you're, if, you're, if your faith is strong enough, and if you're, if you're doing the right stuff and you're in the right place, you're never going to have struggles with mental health issues or emotional issues. Okay, let me give you an alternate option here. What about this guy? <laughs> Jeremiah. I think he's called the weeping prophet in some places. Am I not uh, correct about that? Look at this quote from uh, the book of Jeremiah. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? Gosh, I think he's worried about something. <laughs> something going on with that guy. Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They got a whole book of the Bible named after him. Hmm, interesting. Okay, maybe he's an exception. Let's try another one. Oh, David, yes. Our David, the man after God's own heart, right? King, uh, King David, who uh, we have... All of the psalms from, most of the psalms are from his, uh, right? He, 22.1, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which we'll, we, hear, we hear echoed in the Lord himself later. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief and my years, years with sighing. Wow, doesn't sound too happy. And... I think there's one more, but I'm not sure if it'll come up. There, oh. If you want more, you can kind of read through a lot of different psalms. Okay. So the man after God's own heart suffered with distress. Maybe you might call it depression. You might call it despair. What does that say to us? He's, I think he's kind of like a Hero of faith, is he not? So maybe heroes of faith are subject to, in our humanity, struggles? Just a thought. This is one of my favorite ones, Elijah. In 1 Kings, Elijah, there's a, there's a in two chapters, in, in two verses, in two chapters in, the, in 1 Kings, there's a, that scene, if you may recall, where um, he calls upon all the priests of Baal to show up, and, the, and he says, yeah, come on, call on your God. We'll put out the, the, the sacrifice, whichever one, you know, like, you know that, 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 that 
lights up in flames or, or is honored, we'll know, because I'll pray to my God, you pray to your God. Well, he does, he, makes, he even gets kind of sarcastically mean <laughs> towards them, and God answers his prayer. He pours water on it to make it even harder, and God honors his prayer, takes the sacrifice, and the people follow him and have this great victory, and I think a bunch of the Baal priests are actually killed. This is the way the scripture reads. Go to the next chapter. Here's words of Elijah. The, king, the queen, Jezebel, is threatening him, and he's running away. And he says, but it says about him, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die. Sounds like a death wish to me. Could be even suicidal, although we don't take it that far. But, I mean, he's obviously at that point struggling. Anybody ever gone through that up and downs of life where something's going and then goes away? Or, verse, or vice versa? I kind of like seeing that there are God's uh, people are there. And last of all, if it will go, hello. The Lord Jesus himself. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify this because I don't know about you, but I struggle with the, the, the idea that Jesus was fully man and experienced all humanity's stuff, our stuff, and was fully God at the same time. It's a little hard, I think. That's, that's what, we call, what we call sometimes one of the mysteries of faith. But if we believe that, I, I, my... my thought about that is I was, I, if I even try to so, sort of imagine that I was experiencing those last, that last day of my life as Jesus, the human part of him did. That would be pretty bad. Pretty difficult. So we have his state, we have several statements about that. One is the Garden of Gethsemane he, be, he took Peter with him and the two sons of Jephthah and began to be sorrowful and he deeply grieved or he was deeply distressed. Jesus, God's son, the man Jesus, experienced this. Number two, his sweat became like drops of blood. It's pretty strong response to difficulties in, in, in terms of stress and fret. And then we go back to that earlier statement, which is mirroring what David said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not, I'm not glad that the Lord experienced the things in humanity that we experienced for the reason because of wanting him to have suffered for it. But I'm glad he chose to tell us that he did and to be able to identify with the fact that his humanity and his message is human beings will have this happen. And I've had it happen and I'm going before you, my resurrection and going before you allows me to be with you through it. 
So anyway, that's my misconception number one. I'll go with another one, another what I call my unfortunate perspectives list. Number two, every mental disorder is solely based on current demonic activity and spiritual bondage. That is what you call possession, oppression, or other thing. Now, solely is the key word there, that it only has to do with that. And below, I have written, the only means of healing or release is through specific deliverance, prayer, or intercession. The only means. So there's some, some people who think that that's, we can only deal with that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't deal with it through prayer. Please. Don't, don't get, hear me through. But to, to believe it's only based on overt demonic activity in itself, I think is maybe limits the possibilities. Let's look at this. So what else might happen? Well, we were created as humans as, with, as spiritual beings. We also have a body, our physical essence, and we have a soul. Okay, The soul is the place of the will, the mind, and the emotions as we kind of understand those components of our, uh, our humanity, as it were. So let me, let me propose an alternative here. Maybe we were never intended to experience disease, death, and mental distress in our original creation. Maybe that's not what God had in mind in the Garden of Eden, in the original story. If that's so, could it be that Adam and Eve's original sin and its results have led us to be vulnerable? We can die. We do have exposure to diseases. We do have struggles. We do have these things in our lives. Not because God intended for us to be but because of the choices that have been made on the road in the fallen world we're in, we're subject to it. So if we're all subject to it, it's probably pretty important to understand how to be alongside each other when we run into our own encounters with these struggles, be they health, mental health, life, family issues, what have you. So my belief is it's important for us to be able to understand things from that perspective as well. Now, let me segue just a minute. Um, cover the perspectives and then I'll draw us back. There are a lot of people who believe that psychological science is a secular humanist field and hence it's not consistent with a Christian or a biblical worldview. I've heard it. I don't, I don't, as a practitioner and a Christian and a person who's experienced, I don't believe it. I think that is, I, yes, there are secular humanist people who do not accept the spiritual side of a Christian or a biblical worldview, but I don't think inherently those two are in contradiction, absolutely. Um, Maybe it's because I know people who are Christian who are wonderfully gifted in the areas of counseling and mental health and psychology. Uh, and I, I trust their faith experience and their Christianity. So let me 
go along for a little bit differently. What if we thought of science and Christianity as not knocking heads? By the way, I think that started back in the day. Early in the church, the church was actually the keeper of soul healing back, back in the day. When psychology started to come around, I think this battle kind of started happening. This conflict started to happen. Oh, well, no, it's not about that. It's about the psychological principles we know and understand how people will feel, think, work, da, 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 da. And we got into that. So then, so, and then, no, 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 you can't say that. And then things started to continue. And possibly that division has, uh, I guess, endured to some degree uh, to today. I'm here to, at least in my own perspective, say I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a social scientist and I feel like I'm a Christian and I have an ability to look at the world situation and people through those both lenses. And hopefully they're both useful for us to understand each other. Okay? I want to be able to see people. I'll give you an example. I've had people, I had a person once ask me this question. He said, uh, do you teach at Southeastern? This is through uh, one of the admissions people sent me this letter. Do you teach at Southeastern those theories of godless men in your program? Theories of godless men? Well, Anybody think of one person that, you, that, that they might think that person's referring to? Freud. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, Sigmund Freud has clearly owned his atheism, and he clearly had issues with religion. No doubt about it. And I am not a Sigmund Freud fan. Okay? But, there are some things that Sigmund Freud suggested that we consider when we're looking at man and his mental, emotional, and uh, health areas that I bet I can say one that most all of you would agree with. So I'm going to test it out here. How many of you believe that the things that happened to you during your first five years of life had some effect on what you turned out to be now? That was Freud's idea, <laughs> by the way. I think that that's not unreasonable to, from what we know to believe that, that, that that's true. Now, there are other ones that I don't agree, but what I'm saying is there are, I think, things out there that we can get uh, from people who are not Christian, but they, they help us. My, I was tempted to do this, and if Robbie knows me well enough that I would, I probably wouldn't do this, but... I, I, I was tempted to write back and say, sir, I, I kind of got the feeling it was a gentleman. It might not be, but uh, sir, if you, were, if you were suffering from a serious form of cancer and the only type of cure was developed by an atheist and it was found scientifically to work, would you take it? Just wondering. So I have, a, I have an additional piece to add here. First of all, I believe all, the word all truth is God's truth means that truth is truth. We don't have Christian truth that's different than other truth. Truth is truth. 
the lens we look at it from and the perspective that we may absorb it from can be different. And there's value in kind of using different ways to look at things. I believe that. But in the end, I'm not making up a truth that's not true if it's true. Secondly, knowledge and wisdom were given to man our gifts that are be, to be used for his purpose and glory. Has God ever used gifts, given gifts to people who were not believers that we have evidence of to make the way for his people, for example, the, the Israelites? I'm going to share one. If you, think of, if, you, if you read at all the books of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah were in captivity and, and King Darius of the Persians, who was at that time in control of the place, allowed them to return, gave them favor to return to rebuild the wall and to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, Darius wasn't a, wasn't a believer. He, wasn't, he didn't believe in one God. He might have said, he said different things about that later, but he, but he allowed that to happen. I think there are many other things where, as I think the psalmist says, uh, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. It didn't say the heart of the Christian king or the heart of the believing king. It said the heart of the king. So I believe there are things that happen that we have, uh, we, we need to be open to the possibilities of using the best information that we have that's out there, the best skills that have. Now, all right, I'm going to, kind of go from there to I think God uses true information and discoveries by non-believers to benefit his people and accomplish his will. I'll just kind of leave that at that. My, first of all, lest, uh, lest I be misunderstood, do I believe that prayer and intercessory prayer for our needs that involve any of these topics is significant and is valuable? Yes, yes, yes. Do I believe that there are persons who are committed Christians who have a, who have a gift also of wise counsel and counsel relationship building to be alongside people? Yes, I believe both. So what am I going to do with that? What does that mean? Well, I pondered that, and I, I, I feel, my feeling is, I don't tell God how he's going to heal. I don't even know how he's going to heal. Do I believe he can heal someone from a serious mental health issue in a snap? I do. Does he always heal that way? No. I had an experience, so if you're familiar with uh, intercessory prayer, inner healing, deliverance prayer, any of you all familiar with some of that? Okay. Um, I, the church that I worked for for a while in that, in that place, we actually had a intercessory prayer deliverance meeting on one part of the campus, and on the other part of the campus, we had a counseling center. Now, that doesn't happen without having like some conflict, but in our church, it seemed to be okay, and, it, and, and there wasn't obstacles, but I had a call 
from the pastor over that deliverance ministry. And he's an awesome prayer warrior, man of God, um, et cetera. He started a, a, a 24-hour prayer wall at our church that goes on still today where people are praying. But he called me and he said, look, he said, Cliff, Miss Jones was here the other night. She's struggling with serious depression. And he said, we prayed for her to be released from the bondage of that depression. And he said, but I feel like she needs to have godly counsel to walk out her deliverance. That's interesting to me. I had never kind of like put those two things together. I'm not, because I may have a, a skill set training and gifting in counseling, I'm not willing to say that that's the only way that God will ever bring somebody through struggles like this. I'm not at all. In fact, I hope that, I mean, he works through me with prayerfulness as well. But I don't think it's, it's either or. I don't think it's either or. I think we need both. I think we need both. Now, granted, having, you know, counselors who are of that belief, sometimes it may be a challenge to find who those people are and to understand how to, get, how to avail yourselves of it. But I still think that God gave those gifts to people for use in helping us be alongside others for, for that use. So, that's kind of the overview I want to uh, share with you about how I kind of tend to think about the combination of spirituality. And please don't go home and say, Dr. Herndon said I, counseling will solve all my problems. I don't have to be prayed for at all. No, please don't say that. It's not true. In fact, one of the, one of the privileges that I had in, our, in working with the students that came under our program was to be able to say to them, you have the advantage of God being with you and in you. And you, if you know him and you want that, you can still exist in the world that may not understand that. And some, some areas of mental, this is, you know, I've been, I've been kind of taking a few misperceptions on the part of the church, but I'm going to tell you there are misperceptions on the part of the world about the church. You think? <laughs> I think, I think. How can you be a psychologist and be a Christian? How does that work? Uh, works for me. I can, I can go over it with you. I mean, give me something to, give me something to talk about with that. I mean, I, I don't see a contradiction. So I say to you, as uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of a, a teacher and a, and a counselor named John Eldridge. He wrote a book called Wild at Heart. He and his wife do ministry together. He used an example uh, in a recent, in a podcast that was shared with me. And I think it's, it's, it, it, it speaks to this point. Let's look at this. Uh, we are spirit creatures and we are soul creatures and physical creatures. That's, God created us with those essences combined in us. He made the comment, that there's sometimes factions within our world that say things can only be done one way. Like, we, I'm a counselor, so it has to be counseled out of you. 
It has to be a process. Okay? Other people say, no, no, you got to have a, an, a, a Holy Spirit spiritual event happen. That's the way it changes things. That's what does it. Why do we have to make that choice? And do we, do we have a right to make that choice? I'll propose an example to you, the Apostle Paul. Does anybody think Paul had a uh, spiritual experience encounter somewhere along some road called the Road to Damascus or something that he talks about? Yeah, knocked him off his horse, didn't he? Heard the Lord speak. Nobody else could hear it, but they heard loudness. Yet, when's the next time we see Paul active in ministry? 14 years later. What was going on? Well, maybe Paul had to walk out some things. Maybe he needed training, discipleship. Maybe he needed wise counsel or somebody to walk with him for a while. Just, just kind of thinking... So maybe Paul had both. Maybe Peter had both. Peter saw a lot of miracles. But at the end, his last encounter that we see with the Lord at, on the beach, right before the ascension, but after the resurrection, you may remember these famous words. Sitting by the fire, Peter, do you love me? Remember that? Peter, number two, do you love me? Number three, Peter, do you love me? Looking him in the eye. Might that not be a process thing going on that a counselor might say, now think about this. Are you sure? Are you positive? Are you listening to what you just said? So maybe he too had both. I'm not going to limit God's capacity to heal. I want to be available with what giftings he's given me and help people find the gift, the places they need to get what they need to get. And hopefully, that's what you will want to do as well. Try to help people get what they need. Have the gifts that are ex exposed through and operated through by God through godly men and women to be a part of that. So, having said that, I'm just going to do one quick thing because I want I, I, I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you in short time. So, I hope that this, your head's going, oh, what's he talking about? But I do want to add one, a couple other little things on here I, that, that, that we need to be aware of. How does mental health look in American culture today? Now, I don't know if you can see that fully, but he, He's talking to the clown. He says, I think you have PI-TSD. He says, I'm afraid of getting hit in the face with a pie. I think you have PI-TSD. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Or that one. Have you tried a hot bath to relieve stress, maybe with some peas and carrots? And you've got a little, uh, little vegetable guy right there on, on, the, on the thing. So we, we, we kind of throw these things out there that kind of like funny, you know, um, Bob Newhart, in the day of my day, was a 
a TV sitcom with a psychologist. And uh, that was the craziest show of, about psychology I've ever seen. What historically do we know in our culture, too? This is another maybe view of what people see mental illness. We talk about stigma. Straitjacket, that's a picture of a real old straitjacket at the time. Yep. Yep. So people who, there are restraints now. They don't quite look like that. But in some ways, they were felt like people needed to be strapped down, protected. Look, this, this guy is trying to uh, scare the, the demons out of him, to, this psychotic person, with a, with a spear. And then I think there's one more. Whoops, back up, back, 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 back. Look at that um, kind of closed bed thing. Can you imagine being restrained in one of those things because they thought you were crazy? Back, back in the day, long, long, long ago, that was kind of the, the idea. So I have hope that maybe not only as a church but as a people, we maybe can benefit from understanding things a little better than our historical neighbors did back when, our forefathers. But I also hope we can understand the possibilities of God intervening in multiple ways. Uh, using giftedness that he gives to other people, uh, different people. I, I know a lot of people who are gifted in intercessory prayer and deliverance, and sometimes all of us, I think, have it. I, sometimes I have it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I believe that that's important that we have. And I pray for my clients, whether they want me to or not, or whether they ask me to or not. Um, I don't lie to them. <laughs> But I think it's important to be able to realize the spiritual presence is a part of what's going on there. I had the advantage of having God with me when I'm with somebody that secular-only psychologists don't have. So I know the tricky part is, okay, so if I decide that, and I could go farther with this, if I decide I wanted to get help, how would I know who was one of these legit believing people who had that. And it is, it is kind of a challenge to know who is and who, who does that. Um, but it's something that I would encourage if you, that you ask questions. Ask people you know, have you had counseling from anybody who was, you know, you believe was sensitive and even supportive of your faith in the process? Check it out. Ask, I know... Uh, Angela told me the other day, has told me she wants me to uh, put together a list of the people locally in the area, and I'm kind of like working on that. <laughs> I, would, I mean, I would like to have, a, just for reference, not that I'm supporting any particular person per se, but it would be good to have people have an opportunity to maybe have at least, who can I check out that, might, that I can see might relate to me on my level, be it in a church setting, a pastoral setting, or otherwise. By the way, pastors also are counselors. But one of the things that I, uh, I, I have talked to the folk, the students in the past, uh, in Dr. Crosby's classes, one of the things I suggest for pastors is to also get to know who in your area is a trustworthy mental health person should things get to a point beyond your level of competence. 
or your level of understanding and ability to help. I think that's an important thing to do. Um, so, I, I could go on, but I think it's about like 7 o'clock almost now. And I want to just open the door to any comments, questions, thoughts, challenges. Um, I'll give you an example. I have had, I've had people say, well, what about this thing? Uh, what, doesn't the scripture talk about generational curses? And how does that fit into this idea that, you know, of mental health and psychology? Um, yes, that's, that's scripturally sound. What does a generational curse mean? And is that interpretable in terms of what we know about mental health today? I think it can be. Um, if somebody is in a family and grows up in a system of dysfunction in their family, or there is a biological piece to some of the issues that are going on, which happens to come through the DNA into that, we know those things happen. We know that there are biological components to certain mental health issues. We also know there are learned and trauma-based components. Generational curses could be the continuing process of any of those things in a, in a family system that you may have heard. Uh, there's a lot of research, for example, about um, children of alcoholics are more subject to being alcoholic. Um, there's different, different levels of biological heredity in some of the concerns that we call mental, health, mental illness. So I think that that's not invalidating at all the word. I think the word goes along with that. But you guys, we have these two little microphones here. If you want to uh, address any issues that are any questions or comments, share with us something. Um, that's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. Should I or should I not? Should I speak to that or should I not? <laughs> yes. In a community, um, a church community like this, for example, um, what are ways that we can responsibly, carefully, meaningfully care for one another, talk to one another, think about one another, interact with one another whenever people are suffering with mm -hmm. grief? depression, anxiety, what would you say to people reaching out and caring for and being a neighbor to okay. someone with mental health? I, I think there is kind of a basic piece to this is that sometimes I think we want to get in and fix it or change it or do something like to take the pain away when it's not in our power to do so. But it is in our power to be alongside, to listen. I think it's in our power to acknowledge that I'm a human that struggles with things too. Might not be the same as yours in terms of what it is, or maybe it is. But to be able to acknowledge, allow people to be vulnerable without criticism. Now that's hard. And I'm, I'll say this, maybe, maybe it's a sexist comment, but I think guys have a harder time with that to some degree in terms of 
letting their feelings and responses out with other men. Because in our culture, we have these ideas that we should be strong and self-supportive and self-sufficient. It's not uncommon in women either, but is it okay for me to tell you, look, I'm having a hard time. Is there anybody I can, that, can I be that person for you that just says, when you tell me you're struggling, I don't just say, oh, be well. Can I listen? Can I be prayerfully supportive? Can I help think through, are there other, other resources available for that person? Most importantly, listen. <laughs> and dare I say, listen. Look them in the eye and listen. I, I have this concern in my life that we have become as a culture a little so much dependent on text, uh, electronic means of communication that we don't know how to look each other in the eye and talk. I'm not saying that that's true, but I, ha I, have, a, I have a worry that generationally there may be, as people more dependent younger on those modes of communication, if you're sitting next to somebody and you're talking to them by text, when you could turn your head and speak, I worry about that. And we need that sense of having somebody who can look us in the eye and say, I care. I can't change it, maybe, but I care. I want to hear what you have going on. I have a host of questions. Go. I thought there'd be um, more people com competing for me. So I'll just, I'll start with two, and then I might come back later. So the first one has to do with, um, is there a way for a non-specialist to differentiate between, you know, someone who's just experienced some grief or they're sad, they've got a bad right. day, and someone who needs right. clinical help? That's the first question. And then the second one, um, and the Oasian group in the room know uh, the story that Angela and I are in the midst of, and it has to do more with kind of trauma-based need, like the traumatized brain and yeah. what yeah. they need. Um, I'll speak to the traumatized brain because I think that's an important one that we have learned more about than we ever used to know. Uh, I just read some material fairly recently about why, why therapy works, which is an, not like why do you do therapy or what, what theory you believe in, but why does it work? And this gentleman had a very interesting thing based on presentation. We are learning that the brain learns before we know it's learning. The brain experiences learning and holds things before we even know that it's happened. Developmentally, the younger we are, and the less developed our, our brain is with the, what we call the higher functions, the reasoning and judgment and those kind of things, is that emotion and trauma are experienced at the basic levels. You ever, how many of you heard of that fight or flight response? You heard of that? Another word for saying that is there's a part of our brain that says, get the heck out of here and save yourself before it even knows what it's doing that about. So 
sometimes trauma allows us to experience, we get to re-experience the same thing and our brain says, no, I ain't going there. I ain't going there. I'm not going to the part that thinks about it. It hurts too much, so I'm going to close it in, keep it quiet, run away, hide, avoid. And how do you, how you are able to get people to revisit places that hurt so much that they didn't have any control over is what we're talking about here. How does that happen? We're learning a little bit more about that in that there are ways to help use the structure of the brain to help us. Uh, you may hear of some things called uh, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization uh, re rehearsal, and uh, another one called a tapping. What we're learning a little bit more about is that we have to kind of distract that part of the brain that's harmed so it doesn't know we're going back, <laughs> that we're revisiting. So how do you get somebody from a point of pain that they have to re-experience at some level to get through it without them running away from it and shutting down? So the idea is, can we get, can we learn more about how to do that? One of the things that they're, the, 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 some of the things they're experimenting with now is um, tapping responses is, 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 and re repetitive left-right movement across the left side of your body is the right side of your brain, right side of your body, left side of your brain. So if you can keep messages going back and forth between the two, preoccupied with something other than that experience, sometimes you can get them to, to go back to that experience without being sidetracked. So you kind of like fool the brain into being, paying attention to going back and forth instead. And that's just one technique. The trauma-based stuff is, is like going back to a place that you didn't know existed. But you see the results of it, but you can't just talk somebody out of it because it's too painful to visit, so I don't even want to spend any time there. I don't want to hear it. So that's, that's the, the, the trauma part. Um, your, first, your first comment, I think, was uh, related to uh, distinguishing between mental health uh, and, and uh, issues that are mental health issues. Uh, I have a little, let me see if I can get to it. I've got a little thing I went over. How do I know when help from a mental health professional is needed? Aha, that's kind of what you were talking about. Whoops, back up. Well, what, what professionals do and what anybody can, can do at some level is how much intensely is it affecting people's behavior? How severe is it and how quickly does it come on? How long has it been going on? How, uh, how, how's the change that you're seeing that's negative, different from what's normal, quote unquote, for that person. So why, why is this, suddenly this person is looking different than they did before? They stop eating. They never had a problem with eating before. Now that's not, that's not the, the essence of it, but it's a sign that the, that lack of eating is a sign of something different. 
That's not their way of dealing with life. So we look at people that we know and try to say, what's, what's, what's the change? Talk to the people around the person. What's, what do you see different that's not like them? Or how, how much stronger are they in, in some of these areas that they just weren't like that before? How much more intense is that? And you also, are they starting to do things that are risky or dangerous? Are they starting to take chances that don't make sense? You know, are they getting, are they deciding to drive recklessly? Are they going, staying out late at night? Uh, are they even exposing themselves to um, multiple dangerous possibilities by their use of substance or by their even by, let's just say, having multiple promiscuous partnerships sexually. That's a risky behavior. And is that, how is that showing up? So a person objectively can't know that. They have to bring in not only the person themselves, but the people around them for uh, co collateral evidence, as it were, or collaborative evidence to help. So do I see, if you think something is pretty seriously not going well with somebody and you're concerned about it, it's okay to talk to them about them if you know them well enough to do that. If not, talk to somebody who knows them and say, I'm worried because I'm seeing that they're out there like taking chances on stuff that I don't think they would have done that before. This does not seem like them. So at that point, those are kind of some of the signs you want to look for. And if it starts to be out in that level, you, you may need the help of a mental health professional to sort of make the diagnostic piece fit. You know, what's, what's uh, one of the examples I think about is in, in the scripture, the, the man who was bound with chains uh, on, and uh, kept breaking the chains and, and he fell at Jesus' feet when Jesus came up to him. Uh, that... That by itself, we are told that that was, had direct demonic involvement, okay? We're told that. Um, but if you see somebody who is schizophrenic and acting, saying, hearing voices, saying, saying things to, that, to somebody who's not there, um, strange, bizarre thoughts, um, that can be a sign of what we call schizophrenia as opposed to being absolutely demonic, directly demonic. Let me explain that to you. I believe demons exist. This is not against the fact that demons exist and there's spiritual warfare and possession is possible, okay? I'm not contradicting that. But I think we've got, we've got a devil who knows enough about what's already in our lives, in our broken selves, since the fall, he can pull out stuff that's already there and not have, to, not have to create a demon of depression or anorexia per se. He can just kind of grab on and say, this one's got that. I'm going to pull on that childhood event that led them to be whatever. I'm going to twing, tweak that. So I don't know if that helps. Maybe that gives you a little bit of a background. Yeah. To kind of um, piggyback on what Robbie was saying, what happened with um, one of the church members, 
Um, there's so many people around us, I think, that are hurting. And from the perspective of the church and the perspective of the community, um, like how can we better um, set up a system, like a safety net? Um, like you were saying, you were going to make a list for the churches. And mm -hmm. is it the responsibility of, of the church or the community to kind of connect the spiritual part of um, the, the spiritual community with the community yeah. helps? Um, good question. I, I think if you are in a, a faith community and you are experiencing concern at, uh, of something that's going on, I think uh, in a community, just as in a family or in a neighborhood that I have relationships with, I'm looking out for the people around me. I'm paying attention to what's going on. I want to try to be observant and look, care about what's going on. Whose responsibility is it? Whoever notices it, that's a f person of faith and is wondering. It's okay if you see somebody that's troubled to open the door. I'll, I'll give you an example. This is a little bit, I mean, this is, I, I hope that, I, I believe God leads us to people if we are w willing. He leads us to, to people to be able to be in contact with them. I was walking my dog in my neighborhood. Okay, minding my own business, just walking. There's a gentleman who lives two doors down. I don't know him that well. Um, but I, I actually was just asking him a question about his business. Well, I said, well, how, how are you doing? Uh, how's, how's things going with you and the family? And he said, well, not too, oh, okay. And I said, well, what, what's going on? He said, well, my business is not doing what it's supposed to do. And he said, I, I'm, I'm struggling with my faith. I don't, I don't, I wasn't looking for that answer. I wasn't seeking for, hey, anybody out there got a faith problem that I can talk to you about? But I said to him, so, so, well, tell me what's going on. He said, well, I just feel like the trials in my business that are not working, I thought God was going to make my business successful in a certain way. It's not happening, and I'm struggling. I'm struggling with knowing what this is about. And my faith is on the line with that. And it occurred to me that it didn't matter that if was, it didn't matter if I was a psychologist. I was a person walking in a neighborhood who knew this man. And I said to him, well, do you have anybody you can talk to about? Do you have people you can talk to? He said, no, I don't have anybody. I, have no, I don't know anybody that I can share that I'm struggling with. And I think that's a big, big thing. We have to be willing to be okay with saying we're struggling to somebody else. I'm not saying we're going to put a sign and say, I'm struggling today, guys. I'm saying, saying to people that we know who we know, being willing to, and also being able to listen, be open to somebody saying it to you. Even if you don't have the answer or you don't know where to send them. Somebody caring enough to listen. Somebody... Will, are you willing to be vulnerable with somebody else who's willing to be vulnerable with you? I think that's an important skill we have to try to, I don't know, build into our communities. I mean, can I, can I say to you, you know, you saw that list of stuff that's on the board. I had my hand raised up too, okay? You know, ADHD, dementia. I'm not 
immune by any means to those things. I can tell you personal stories if it were appropriate, but I had ways to talk about it with people. And I knew I could, and it was safe. I feel like helping people identify who's safe is important, whether it be a friend, a member of a small group, a, the pastor, whoever, who's safe. I'm, you're, I'm okay with you. I'm not gonna, I want good for you. Let's, let's, let's sit down together. I guess that's what I can say. I hope that's helpful. Mm -hmm. How do you present or maybe like suggest someone to go to therapy or see someone if they feel if they don't like it's want not, to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a really good question, and I, you, we can't take responsibility for the fact that people will do the best thing for themselves. Well, that was the most innovative thing, I'd say, but, you know, we can't make people do what we think is best and what we think could help them. But we can say, I'm worried about you. I'm worried. Here's what I'm seeing. Tell me if I'm wrong, but now you're doing, this is happening and this is happening, and I'm kind of, I'm bothered by where that's going. I'd like to help you walk with you to get somebody that can help you. I'll even help you figure out, let's figure it out together who that could be. But I think I'm seeing it from my eyes. Own it yourself, what you're seeing. And, and they can say, no, that's not true. And they say, okay, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't know what, how else to explain it, but it seems I'm concerned. I'm concerned, and, and I'm, if, if you want to talk about it another time, leave the door open. Leave that door open, you know, because maybe they'll think about it later and say, well, somebody did care. They tried, but I can't go back to them. But if you leave the door open, at least the possibility has that somebody can be there. Other questions? Yeah, yeah. My question was kind of along those lines, um, but it was a little, like, I guess after that step happens, do you have any recommendation for, like, a step between, like, what, if, what about people who don't have access either financially or yeah. transportation or, so, I mean, I guess I could take, I'll take somebody to therapy, but, um, like, it's spe specifically if they don't have insurance or if they don't have, like, yeah. access financially yeah. to professional therapy, is there some kind of resource that... Well, there are, there are some um, church-based centers that I know of that don't require a financial statement, as it were. Mm -hmm. And there are also um, public agencies that have the same thing. Um, it's, it's a matter of what, whatever we say is, is, is happening in the world, there is a financial cost to everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that you can just go up and, oh, well, you can get what you need, just go here. Because I don't know a place that's exactly like that. But there are places that are like that. And I would, I, for example, I know there are several, um, I know that the Covenant Center uh, in, near, on Lake Mirror has counseling service. I believe they have an, op an option 
for benevolence type work for a certain level. Uh, certainly if it's, if it's an issue that is life-threatening, don't even worry about how it's going to get paid for. Go to the place and, and they will, any place will help you get the emergency services if they know what they're doing. They should be prepared to deal with it themselves because there's some things that go beyond our capacity to, to deal with. So find, you know, find somebody and walk with them to that place. Take them, take them there. Stay with them. Help them to navigate the process. Um, so it's, it's a hard answer. I mean, I, I wish there were more, I could say, well, you can go here, 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 and here. Well, there's not a here, 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 and here. But there are churches that do have centers, and, and they may tend to be at least con concerned about getting people to places for help in a different way from a faith perspective. Um, for example, I know two other, I'll just say this because I know they are out there. Um, in Winter Haven, there's a Heartland Church has a counseling center that is staffed by professionals, uh, and, but the church supports it. Um, so Heartland and Winter Haven, there is a church in uh, Brandon called uh, Bay Life Church. Uh, Bay Life Church has a number of counseling professionals there and they have a system of dealing with people who don't have funds. I supervise a guy who's working there, so I know a little bit about that. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how uh, Highland Park Church of the Nazarene works specifically, but I know they have across the street from the church on Lakeland Highlands is a counseling center that they sponsor. So those are a couple of names I can rip off the top of my head quickly. Um, and there are some private practitioners that I know who specialize. <laughs> Sorry, you lost your spot, sir. Yes, okay. ma'am. Um, whenever I talk to my therapist or my mother, my friends about my mental health issues, um, I feel really guilty about it. How, like, how do I kind of change that so I'm not feeling guilty like I'm putting this pressure on So when on you talk them? about her issues, is that what you're no, saying? No, whenever I talk about my issues your, to her. Your issues to... Mm -hmm. To somebody else? Yes. Um, that's a good question. Um, are, are you able to own it? I mean, are you able to say, this does not mean I'm a flawed individual for life, but that it's experience of, of something that I go through and others have gone through? Part of it's going to be how you handle it for you. Can I accept the fact that I am dealing with a struggle? And it doesn't make me bad, evil, flawed, crazy, cuckoo like Cocoa Puffs. I don't know. It doesn't make me any of those things. That, that's, that, that's that stigma piece. And sometimes we have to deal with the stigma and kind of be... I'll, I'll share with you guys something. You want to hear this? Okay. Um, think about being a psychologist who has your, ish, your own issues in a community where you're well known. Who do you go to? And what does that mean if you do? He's a psychologist. He's got issues. I ain't sending nobody to him. Or, or he's a psychologist and he's struggling with something. He must not be very good. I mean, so at any level, though, there is that piece of us that we have to be willing to say, I have struggled with things and I do. And I need 
other people alongside me. It doesn't mean I'm no good or totally flawed. It means I need. I need others. I need the Lord, others in the Lord alongside me. I would suggest the possibility of being able to at least talk to the people you know that you trust and are people of faith and say, this is how, this is how it is right now. I'm working on it. I'm trying to do, do what I can. Pray with me about it. If, you, if you're inclined to, pray with me about it. You know, I, I, I will share something. I don't know if I, I probably, I don't care. Um, Anybody know what Prozac is? Is that good or bad? It can be good or bad. All right, good. Uh, if, I, if I told you I take Prozac every day, what would you say? Me too. Good for you. Okay. Now, that's a risky thing for me to say in some level. But I, don't have, I, I have to be a willing to, to say to myself, if I'm going to be true to the people I'm with, that at a point in my life, I needed that physiological peace, and I had wise enough people to help me think that through and make the decision about the risks and benefits. I'm not, I'm not a proponent for every medication in town. Don't. That's not it. But my belief is medications... in are potentially helpful to people in certain situations if they are managed correctly, if they are done well. And I have somebody who's going to know what, what I should do. When I had clients who said, oh, no, 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 I ain't taking no medicine. Uh-uh, no, no. I'm not going there. I say, well, well, no, I, I didn't say that. I usually will say, I respect what you say. But my feeling is that sometimes we're in a position that we are unable to use what we have naturally to help ourselves because we're, we need a boost out of a low part that's too far low to come out of alone. Okay? So, like, to me, that's, it, that's a wise thing to say, but we should also be holding our medical professionals accountable for watching with us. One of the things I have a problem with, and I'm going to just be honest, is a medical practitioner, I'm going to say, let's say a primary care physician, gives somebody a medication, and that's it. And, you, and come back and see me in six months. That ain't okay. If you have a reason to consider that somebody needs it, follow through with the whole package. Monitor it more regularly. Actually, why can't... Usually, medication alone is not the answer. Look, Prozac doesn't make life hardships go away. I haven't found that to be true. It doesn't make it go away. But if it equips my system and me in a way that I can then participate in helping myself and working with somebody who can, I want that. Okay? I want that. So I'll never force anybody who I'm working with to take medications, but I'm going to say, I'm holding that option out because if things are not, continue to be not working, I want us to revisit that possibility and I'll walk with you, talk to your doctor. I will talk to your physician about it. I will follow with that because that's what it needs. Medication alone without any follow-through is not good for any condition. <clears throat> 
but that's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have a question. I have, I'm bipolar, and I have PTSD, and I have really bad anxiety. Okay. Um, and Which I... Which are fancy words for talking about stuff that's going on in her life, okay? Yeah. Um, I want to know what the, like, the best way to communicate with people who are kind of the faith-based people that you were talking Good. about previously. Yeah. Um, about those, specifically people in my life that, that are needing to know this information. And you want um, them to know it. And I want them to know it. I want yeah. them to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, but I can't. I don't want the response to be, oh, you should just breathe or pray through that. Well, you, know you can't I mean? guarantee what the response right. is well, going to be correct. no matter what. I mean, but like, I don't, yeah, I guess my question is what, wh how to start that conversation. Well, first of all, I think use your judgment to say, who do I want to know that and why? Yeah. And think for yourself ahead of time what it is that you want to come, come out of that sharing of that information. Because I think it's important to think of why would I do it? You know, why do I want that, why do I want that to happen? I'm not saying there isn't good reason because I think there are good reasons for it. But think about that. And then do I have someone who I want to be seriously engage them and say, I'm going to tell you something I want, I want to hope that you'll be able to trust and listen to me about. Are you willing to listen to, to me about this? It's something that's personal that I'm not going to share lightly. Are you willing to listen and, and stick with me? Ask the question. And if they say, I don't know, then you say, well, then let's wait till you can say, okay, I'll find another person who can. You probably have some sense of people who will understand who care about you. That might be part of the process. And maybe even those people can help you connect to the other people in the same group you might be in. Again, I... Look, I don't go out there and broadcast, hey, I'm on Prozac, <laughs> I had depression in the past, but I am not no more. Uh, you know, I don't do that. And it's not wise to do that either, I don't think. But what, what is the reason I want to share it? Maybe because I want somebody to be a, support me. And when I'm, if I'm getting uh, into a stage where I'm starting to spiral down into the problems thing, wait, I want somebody else to call me on it. I want somebody to know. That's what I can say. <laughs> now you get it back. I know I'm back. So again, uh, two, two, two questions. Um, one of them has to do with just what are some best practices in general about you know caring for you know my mental health. Mm -hmm. And I ask that because uh, I've got this inclination that when we come to our physical health. Yeah. Yeah. Our culture f will often focus on illness, not health. Yeah. Although we are kind of health conscious, you know, we eat certain things and not others, and we exercise, we get sleep. Right. I'm saying we here very loosely. <laughs> Some a person I've I know heard, who does that. I've heard of doing such things. Yes. For yourself physically. Yes. But is there a is there a short list of things that I or we might be doing? in terms of mental health. And then the second one, because I, I know a lot of this group are, are quite thinky and like to read, mm -hmm. uh, are, are there things that you might suggest for us, yeah. kind of primers for yeah. good mental health stuff? Both good questions. Um, 
I'll say on the first one, um, some of the guidelines I think for doing well for ourselves is to pay attention to ourselves uh, in terms of uh, it's very easy to get into a place in our world where we're just doing, 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 and we don't stop to see how does that fit with what's happening to me? What, am I, if I'm starting to, to experience distress, why is that happening? Are there things that have changed in my life or the, is my habits changed? Am I, do I have a health issue? That's a, I mean, I always think it's a good idea to, to keep a at least regular health update system. Be, be wary of going to the doctor for a physical once a year. And if you start to notice changes, I think, um, I think it's reasonable to say, I want to talk to my doctor about at least want to let the doctor know is it, could this be medicine, medication I'm on? Could it be a sign of something I'm already dealing with? That would be one thing. Another thing is, it's no, there's no question, I mean, the data is really strong, that having an active exercise program, and I'm not talking about like running a marathon, but having a regular dose of physical activity is good, both for physical and mental health. Uh, three, I think as... We're in such a society of planfulness, you know, trying to do everything and go here, go there, whatever. I think it's important to be able to, set, to let ourselves have freedom to um, say, okay, are there some things I can say no to? Is it okay to not do everything and not expect my, accomplish everything that I think I should do? Can I give myself room to breathe? Um, there's a, if, if you hear anything about the term mindfulness, which is a kind of a semi-professional, semi-culturally relevant term these days, being mindful means I'm willing to pay attention to myself in the present and look at now. What's going on now? What's happening now in me? And how does that match up with health, activity, People, do I, have, do I have places in my life to get that support? Do I have people that care about me? Do I have a community with which I can identify? It's amazing how we have soul wounds that can be me mediated by true relationships with other believers. I think that that's, make room for that. Oh, I don't have time to go to a small group. I don't have time to go to the, Okay, I'm, I, I get that. You know, what do you have? If, if, but, but at least consider what the cost may be if you don't allow yourself that space to take a deep... Learning to do... I, I'm going to say this. It sounds like self-evident, but learning how to sit and be relaxed, there's a mazillion YouTube training possibilities to teach you just how to how to get into a breathing pattern that you can sit still with and actually relax to. I mean, there's just a ton of talk through, uh, guided structure things that you can do. So, I mean, those are some things that come off the top of my mind. I think the most key thing is, do you have people in your life that you can trust? And that you, do you have people in your life that you can be vulnerable with? And I don't care who it is, I mean, 
hopefully, if it's in your family or in your marriage or whatever, those are possibilities. But um, having that and, and, and making sure that there are people out there that I can, I can be real with. You got to have it. You got to have it. When I, when I was struggling at a period of time a number of years ago, it was probably about the time that I first considered whether I had even thought medication was reasonable to do. But a friend of mine who was a colleague said to me, look, what, what did, I mentioned that, that uh, scripture about Elijah. What did God do for Elijah when he got him to sit, when he, when he was running? He said, sit down, sleep. <laughs> sleep. What did God do? He brought food and water to him. He sat with, let him sit. And then he said, okay, I think it's time now. Let's go. Can we do that for ourselves? Sometimes we have to just sit and be and let, let ourselves have some time to do that. You know, do I, or do I always have to be thinking of the next thing? Look, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here too, you know. Keeping, those, keeping, keeping ourselves busy is, I think, one of those things that uh, we can do to avoid dealing with who we are, really, sometimes. So giving yourself room, can I, can I be okay? And if I can't be by myself okay, can I enlist somebody's help to learn how? And maybe they can help me be there. Somebody I trust, somebody spiritually who could help me be with me, somebody counseling-wise who could be with me. Those are just some ideas. I hope that helps a little. Very good. And the, the second question was, is there any literature, like primers that you might Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think what would kind of condense it in one, in one spot. Um, let me think on that one. Let me think on that one. Get, and get back with you guys. So. Yes. Um, my question is, you, you talked about one of the misconceptions um, about mental illness is that it can be like prayed away, um, but oftentimes counseling is like a part of the healing process. Right. Um, but when it comes to like chronic mental illness, where like counseling is happening and it's more of like a long-term thing and it's about management, how as Christians can we change the narrative of like, oh, God's going to heal you and deliver you from this, which can also bring shame to that person because it's more of a long-term thing <laughs> that yeah. they need to manage, um, but while also bringing God into it and keeping like that faith aspect. Good, good question. I, I, I think, as I'm hearing what you're saying there, is that um, sometimes... I don't think anybody can tell us exactly why this path is our path to walk. And if, if somebody says, I'll just, I know he's going to heal you, I'm going to pray about it. Yes, conceptually, I understand God is, will heal us. I, I understand that. But what kind of path do, do some people have to go through to be, go through before the healing that God calls matches the healing that we're looking for? Y'all ever have that? I asked God to pray for somebody and pass to heal them. I don't see nothing. I don't see it. 
Well, maybe we need to, to try to, at least, and I'm not scolding this, I'm just saying, maybe we, live, we, we have a God who lives outside of time. So when it is said, I, the God heals us, think of that when there is no time frame to it. You know, I remember when my, when my mother died, there were a lot of people praying for her to be well, okay? And, you know, for lack of prayer, it wouldn't have been anything, no lack was there. But she died of, of, a, of a cancerous situation. What, what, what am I to say to that? You didn't do it, God. You didn't heal her? Well, I don't know that. Because in a way, she's healed now. Now, that's, I don't mean that as a cop-out. I mean, I think God promises that I will heal you. He doesn't tell us how or through whom or exactly the way it's going to go and give you the roadmap. Okay? And that's hard. Dang. It is hard. So, you know, can I, can, I, can I find somebody else who at least say, I don't understand why this has happened to me, but it is. I'm trying to work my way through it. Maybe it's, maybe it's my thorn of the flesh. You know, sometimes there are some interpretations of Paul's thorn of the flesh that he had something else going on that wasn't physical. Do we know? No. So, again, can we, can we, can we garner support from people who understand that God is more complicated and, and knows more than we know along the way. And I don't mean to cop out on that. I mean, I, I've had people come in my office and we've talked about a situation that was really not a good thing for them to do. Okay? We talked about it for weeks. They said, yeah, I understand it. Got it. Come back to my office and I did it again. And there's a part of me that's like, ah, oh, why can't you get it through your head? But it's not up to me to get it through their head. And if I say, all right, I'm not seeing you no more. You, you don't listen to what I say. I'm, I'm gone. Check out, pay the last bill, go find somebody else. I'm not going to do that. But people don't know how to do that necessarily in community, to stay with you. I don't like seeing people suffer, but sometimes they do things that cause their suffering. Sometimes there are uncontrollable things that cause their suffering. I don't know. I don't know. But I want to be able to at least hope that God will give me an open-mindedness enough to, to hang in there regardless of whether I know. I don't know if that's an answer or just a, another pondering. <laughs> anyway. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Um, is there a... Uh, did he cut you off? Okay. <laughs> oh, did I cut you off? She was coming oh, from the I'm back. Sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. Um, is there a threshold that you've seen, whether it be with symptoms or other factors, that you've seen that require counseling rather than just pressing into the Lord or being with community? Uh, you mean like a, like a, a bottom line? <laughs> like a line in the sand? Yeah. That this is not, this is, and this is not? Um, I don't think there is an absolute bottom line. I think the issue to me is when I get a best understanding that I as a human being with God giving me discernment, 
and with trying to understand what I see before me uh, and be a participant in that person thinking through what's possible and what's going on uh, to try and help walk through the possibilities with them. I don't think there's like a cut and dried line that says step over that line and you've jumped into mental illness category. Because one thing that, that, that we need to understand is that what, what is described as a mental disorder, which is the, the technical term, by the way, that's what's used, the professionals use. There's a, have, if you've ever heard of the book called the DSM-5 or the DSM-4 or 3 or 2 or 1, the DSM, is, it's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. What does that mean? Well, it's a group of people who got together and just tried to describe some stuff that was, they thought was disordered, dysfunctional, or problematic in categories. I, I, I jokingly have talked to my class and said, it's the J.C. Penny catalog of mental health. <laughs> on page 555, you may find shoes. Men's shoes is on 556. On 555, you may sch find schizophrenia. 556, you might see bipolar. Oh, by the way, adjustment disorders are in 700s. It's a way of talking about, in its best use, what people have. I'm not making fun of it. I think it's, there are people who say it's the worst book that ever came to mankind. There's a psychiatrist by the name of, uh, I'm going to black on his name. I know it really well. Anyway, he says it's the worst book that was ever written. Now, I don't see, I think it's how you use what you know and how you help the person walk through looking at the possibilities of what that means and then walk with them to suggest other people who might have had that have done this or found this. Now, I may, not, I may look at you, a person and say, you know, I'm not quite sure which, which category you fit into. I don't, I, don't, I don't know for sure. I need you to help me with that. So let's talk about, these are the categories, these are the things that, that, that are written down about that. Does that seem to make any sense? So, no, there's not an absolute line, and some of it is because there is still that subjective interaction between two people who are human that don't have it all together. <laughs> and one of them is me, if it's me. Okay. Before Beth comes and asks her question, I, I, just for time's sake, we're not going to, you know, kick anybody out tonight. Uh, but we do kind of want to bring our formal session to a close fairly soon because we've already kind of gone over our advertised time. But uh, we're going to have Beth's question and Cliff's response. I'll have a few things to say uh, just very, very briefly. And then we'll have a soft dismissal kind of into the lobby. And we're going to have some folks uh, available to kind of pray with you if there's uh, something you'd like to pray about. Beth? Beth. <laughs> I'll be brief. As someone who is um, at times more intuitive to other people's needs, um, mm -hmm. especially now as a mom and wife, um, what are some good questions to check in with yourself to kind of uh, take a self-reflective, take stock of your emo emotional mental health? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, there's a lot of people in our church world 
that are desiring to help and can focus on others easier than they can themselves. That's just a kind of a how it is. <laughs> um, a lot of people in my field, I believe that almost everyone that I know has been trained in, in the mental health field comes to it partly because they had stuff they had to deal with in their own lives. And somehow that was a part of the sensitivity to it that may, hopefully they were able to be wise and get good counsel and training to do that. So preface it with that. Um, I think trusting that two things. First of all, your emotions are not right or wrong. Emotions are. And I'm, I'm not trying to be tricky with saying that. We are creatures that have emotions, and we were created with that. Every man that we know has had emotional responses to things. So paying attention only to emotion is risky. If it just feels bad, let's think about this and let's kind of look it through. Because we have things that feel bad and they go away in a, a short time, and they don't make much difference. But if I have repeated visiting to places that are troublesome, and I'm feeling like I could use some help getting from that spot, that would be my rough measure for, and you know, listen, I have two daughters who have young kids, I, I get that, and, and like tomorrow, I'm going to have two, I'm going to have a nine-month-old and a three-year-old, and my wife and I are going two-on-two, two, taking care of them all day tomorrow. So I know that there is like inherent stuff in being life, in our lives, where God places us. So I say that only to say, recognize that that's, you're going to have those things happening, but if you see a pattern of repeat and you're, you're asking yourself, even when you take time to be alone with God and you're saying, I don't, I don't understand this. I need some kind of other input maybe. Seek other input. Ask. Find somebody you can just say, am I the only one that has this? Is, is this, can, I, can, I, can we talk? There are a lot of support group possibilities that different communities have that allow that. I know our, our church has a Moms for Moms group, uh, which is not meant to be like a support group for moms who are in trouble. It's meant to be a, a group where moms know each other and can kind of like share the good stuff and the bad stuff a little bit and help their kids at the same time. So I don't, I don't know if that helps a little bit. I hope it does. Um, but don't, don't be afraid to, to ask yourself the question without thinking it means I'm going off the deep end. Thank you, Beth. Thank you all for having me. I hope that I haven't, uh, I hope that I've, God's helped me contribute something that's useful um, to you guys. And uh, thank you. I've had people, I, I will say this, I, I, to show you that I, I don't have to prove this, but, I'm, but I, have had, I have a number of people who have been praying for me to, that this would be used well that whatever people needed to hear would come in a way that they could have a next step to get it, if that's it. And I don't know what that is, so. but I hope, it, I hope it's happening.
Thank you. So uh, just before I dismiss you, um, just a couple, a couple of things. Uh, this is a good first step, right? This is not the, the end of this conversation. This is not the end of the ways in which we here at Oasis want to be kind of open and available and attentive to each other and to ourselves and what that means for our community. There is a lot that's already going on. Um, uh, Jim, there he is, Jim Clanton, wave at everybody, and Craig, it's good to see you too. So there, there's a recovery church organization, is that what the O stands for? Community Recovery Organization um, that, that we partner with um, that has uh, fairly regular events here. So if you or if someone you know has experienced um, some form of addiction, uh, let us know. Uh, let me know. Let Mikkel know. Let Jim know. Um, so, of course, we endorse uh, the major kind of most successful uh, things that happen in this regard, uh, particularly uh, AA. Uh, we have some folks in our community who have been AA members for 30 years, you know. So there's some of you I know that aren't 30. So, and there's others who have been sober for 30 years. And that's, that's an important part of, of what we hope to do. Um, what uh, Dr. Herndon mentioned, uh, this kind of concept of mindfulness, uh, it's not the type of thing that you can just try and like, oh, well, now that fixed it. You know, it's not, it's not a wonder drug. It's a regular practice. And uh, on Wednesday nights at 6.30, we have a contemplative communion service that has a fair amount of silence uh, built in. Um, it's a small group. We actually meet in the arch room. Uh, we've been running it for about a year and almost a year and a half. But you're certainly welcome to come. Um, about half the people that come, that's the only time they ever come to Oasis is that, is that service. Um, but you're happy to do that. And if you come and regularly practice that, that's one of those things. We also have at, o at Oasis some folks who are spiritual directors, which is not the same thing as being a licensed mental health counselor, but it is, um, it is a practice. It's a, kind of a certified, these, these people are, aren't just kind of uh, flying off, you know, the hip. They, they know what they're doing. Right, and they sit with you on a regular basis, and they practice kind of a deep spiritual uh, friendship. I have a spiritual director uh, that I see on a regular basis. We we have had in the past, and I'm and I'm I'm feeling the urge to kind of uh, reinstitute it uh, a short term uh, life group that deals with grief. Um, we have some folks in the community and in, in the Oasis family who have um, served as grief counselors in particularly kind of a hospice situation, uh, which reminds me, we also have a member of community who is a hospice chaplain. Dennis, why don't you wave everybody, right? Uh, and we have a social worker in the hospice uh, arena. Chad, he's waving back there, yeah. And so uh, all, all of these things, oh, um, on Tuesday nights, 
um, maybe not as clinical as some of the things that we were just talking about, but on Tuesday nights, our lab sessions, and for those of you who aren't um, part of the Oasis, regular Oasis uh, family, uh, we have a Tuesday night uh, gathering. Uh, we call labs, it's short, for, you know, like laboratory, meaning we're going to kind of work these things out that we talk about on Sundays. But it's kind of a double entendre. It has two meanings. It also means learning and belonging sessions. And during Epiphany, our learning and belonging sessions are walking us all through the Enneagram, which is another way of just personal awareness, kind of knowing who we are, how God has made us, and what that might look at like in our uh, mental health and what that might look like in kind of our mental unhealth, right? And so it's, uh, it meets at 6.30, yes, on Tuesdays in this room. And uh, we've had two, we have several more. You're welcome to come. So hopefully what you see is that all of these things are intended to work together. As we come together and worship on a Sunday morning, as we pray, as we sing, as we come to the table, as we have these type of events, as we have other kind of small groups that you can be in part of, as we have other specialists that are kind of around in our community or are friends of our community, uh, there are lots really of resources and we want you to avail yourself of them and, and be kind of the best uh, you uh, you can be uh, for your own sake and for the sake of, of us, right? For the sake of all of us, for the sake of our church, for the sake of our, of our community. Um, I think I mentioned, let's see, um, I was trying to rattle off in my head. I don't want to forget anything. Um, Wednesday night. What else did I even say just now? <laughs> Tuesday night. Yeah. The community, yep, okay, I think if I can't remember, that's just really enough. Now listen, uh, having this type of talk, I know kind of opens, opens up things in us. It re- reminds us of things, we remember things, we, we experience things that perhaps we haven't thought of lately or maybe we've repressed in certain ways. And so we have uh, some of the leaders in our church and uh, some of uh, the other folks, kind of spiritual leaders that we trust, we've asked that they might stay. Um, if they would, actually, if you guys would go ahead and kind of move this way, kind of towards towards the altar, and I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss us. It doesn't mean you need to run away from the building, uh, but if if you would like for someone to pray with, just someone to kind of hear your story a bit and kind of lay hands on you and bless you and kind of pray for you. I, w- I would like for you, after I pray, to kind of come and meet, meet with one of these folks. Uh, otherwise, to kind of keep things kind of separate, I would ask for the rest of you to kind of dismiss yourselves at least to the lobby. Feel free, there is some coffee there that's been prepared for you, for those who drink coffee this time of day. Um, <laughs> which is not necessarily me, but uh, there's some coffee there and you can, you can mingle and mix and enjoy one another's company. Uh, there's no, no rush to leave. Um, all right, let me pray. God of heaven and earth, our creator, 
We love you. And we are grateful for your love for us. We thank you that you've made us fearfully and wonderfully. Knit us together. But Lord, we are also aware of our finitude and the hardness sometimes of life. And so we pray. We pray that you would help us, that you would heal us, that you would make us whole. And Lord, as such, help us to be for one another what you would be for us, the presence of God's love and mercy and grace. In the name of Jesus and in the presence of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please feel free to come forward for prayer or we'll, we'll kind of uh, see the rest of you out in the lobby. Go in peace. Can give up.